Hello, everybody, and welcome to this surprise first tree mini so do 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 do. So I'm gonna take this opportunity of Jasmine's semi hiatus to interview and talk to some friends that I've made uh, over the last couple years. I'm thinking it's gonna be some science, some non-science, but basically I just want to introduce some of my friends to the community because I think they have interesting things to say and I like hearing people's stories. And this friend that I have on today is a pretty new friend to me, but surprise, he is one of Taylor's BFFs, close friends since forever. His name is Rick. <laughs> I call him Rickethan <laughs> B. Krause. Um, he is a recent PhD graduate from Yale and he did neuroscience which is like, it's so out of like my field. I went to his Zoom defense and I, I saw all the pictures. So Rick, again, like that presentation was awesome because it was so like, it was so visual. I was like, yes, okay, I see. There's like light coming in, rat brain. Okay, we're learning. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. And with that, I want to ask you, Rick, introduce yourself and then we'll we'll talk about your research. Sure. Well, thank you, Trier. I'm excited to be here. It's probably not super out of your field though, because I think sharks have brains as well, if I if I recall. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, my name is Rick Kraus, and I, uh, as you mentioned, I go way back with your significant other partner, Taylor middle school together, kept in touch since then. Uh, so I grew up in North Florida along with Taylor, uh, small town, uh, about 10,000 people or so. Went to university, uh, University of South Florida. So I was first in my family to go to university. So that was a, a huge hurdle. And I would have never considered myself, you know, being having a PhD from Yale, I guess, 12 years later. Uh, so it's been quite the trek. Um, but yeah, uh, so so that's essentially my my general background intro. I'm also uh, a mixed kid going to going to school. So my biological father is Mexican. My mom is white. So that's another added sort of intricacy that I think your audience might be interested. Yeah, no, it's awesome. You know, I, I like the conversations we've had about it just because I am Mexican and I like, you know, you've asked me questions about, you know, how our time was in Mexico and how it was for Taylor who was there and, and learning kind of on the job. And um, I appreciate it because one thing that you and I can like connect on and also for the record, Rick has been a very good friend to me as well because if I just need to vent about something or, you know, I need to, well, I remember when you were in the thick of it, we would have our check-ins. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just talk about like, Hey, how's it going? How's your week going? Like how, what are your goals for this week or what did you accomplish? And, and it, it really helped me a lot because it felt nice to have like someone to hold me accountable, but also say, you know what? This sucks. Like this week was horrible. Um, <laughs> wasn't a good time. So yeah, I um, appreciate your friendship or this newfound friendship. Thank you. I always appreciated going into the Google sheet and seeing an avatar meme <laughs> on the uh, accountability sheet. Oh yeah, it was either Avatar or My Hero Academia. So that <laughs> every time I would go in, I would like I would laugh so hard, and Taylor was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "It's another meme." It was, it was very funny. So yeah, tell us a little more about your 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 sciencey stuff you know and then kind of what you're doing now because if i recall or i've kind of pieced together that you are still kind of helping on some projects even though you've graduated so you're still kind of working on that correct yeah so i'm technically uh as of april 1st possibly a little earlier i'll be a full-time postdoc in my current lab <gasps> so... you didn't tell me that 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I'm staying on, but you know, it's, I'm essentially going to be no different than a, a grad student, but I just won't have like school and I'll actually be kind of an employee. I'm not sure actually what postdocs, all this weird, like labor force stuff in science is kind of uh, awkward in, in a lot oh my of God, it's so ambiguous too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they're all, we're all considered trainees, so they don't have to call us employees, you know. And Yale was actually one of the the big baddies when it came to uh, making sure grad students aren't considered employees. So that's that's always nice. Uh, there's a lawsuit, I think, about it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so my my trajectory as far as like science itself goes has been kind of kind of nonlinear. Uh, so I never worked in an academic lab before coming, you know, I went to University of South Florida, didn't really know what research really meant to be because, you know, my family didn't go to university or from, from a low income background. And so I was like, you know, science is cool. Let's see what's up. I got to do some research, but I had emailed professors in labs in like, for instance, that I had classes with and never really heard back. But I did get a job in a in a contract research lab to where I was like analyzing brain tissue. And so I was volunteering there and eventually got a part-time paid position to do some statistics and stuff and analysis there. And then I moved, I pivoted to a bioengineering firm. So I was working to grow brain cells outside of bodies. Uh, and that was really cool. But then one of the problems with working in industrial labs is that you just sort of do what they tell you to. Like I got hired to work on a brain project, but then they're like, huh, you were pretty good at that growing brain cells outside of the body. Do you think you could grow liver cells outside of the body? And I was like, I, I don't know, I guess they're cells. And so I ended up working on malaria for my undergraduate thesis project, which was really interesting. I found it cool. Uh, even though I parasites are probably my biggest fear. They're super weird and nasty, yeah. but livers are cool. Uh, and you, they're they're more important than you might think. You cannot live without it. I right. am deleting this entire episode now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll uh, I'll, I'll catch you next. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so I really liked the research that I was doing when I initially started, and I still found the liver stuff interesting and fun in some ways, but it wasn't really what I cared about. So I applied to graduate schools out of undergraduate, and I got into zero of them, not a single one. And so I needed a job. And the company actually next door or across the, the hallway of the building I worked in needed a biology. And so that's what I majored in in undergraduate. And so I ended up working at a cancer drug company. And so I didn't know the first thing about cancer besides like, no, you know, it's like cell growth that gets out of control. But I learned to do some animal work and I got uh, more experience in cell culture. But I used that time to strengthen my application and reapply to grad schools. And I got into a few. Ended up choosing Yale and sort of happened into the lab that I'm currently in with Dr. Marina Pachotto uh, because she gave a lecture at one of my first year classes and I was just really blown away by how she explained the neurobiology of addiction, which I never had considered super interesting before. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, people get addicted. Okay, cool. But then I, she under, she explained sort of like why certain brain structures are involved in this and how this like learning goes goes awry. Basically. And I was really, really fast at And so I joined her lab and worked on a project to where that I did for my thesis, where I was trying to figure out why we learn about some things faster than others and why some memories are stronger than others. And so I used a te technique called optogenetics, um, which means I can just turn certain brain cells on with lights. I did this in mice as they learned to earn milkshake rewards. So I sort of tried to see which brain chemical was really important. Um, spoiler alert, acetylcholine is the one that I studied. And if there was more acetylcholine when the mice learned to get milkshakes, they... Uh, they learned fast. So there's a lot of other stuff that I did in the background to sort of investigate this. But in a nutshell, I'm really interested in why we learn about some stuff. Fast yeah, uh, it's really cool. Okay, well, wait, hold on. I have a very important question. Were they real milkshakes? Because in your presentation, they were like protein shakes. 
Yeah. So they, I, I often just say milkshake, but they are protein shakes. They're insure. Like it's just like what your grandma drinks when she doesn't want to eat food. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, except it's a little worse because I cut it with water one-to-one because I want them to earn more of them. I mean, they, they love it. They go nuts. They love it. That's so sweet. Okay. At least you're not working like with those, those crazy drug ones where it's like, LSD or cocaine or caffeine. So I appreciate that they're working towards an end shore. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they like it. It's, uh, it's tasty for them. I mean, they've mostly just eaten like little kibble for mice, which is like worse than dog food. It looks even less appetizing. It looks kind of like a, a tan pencil eraser, um, kind of flattened out, but yeah. Yeah. Animal research is tough in a lot of ways, but, um, yeah, I like to do the uh, positive reinforcement. Yeah. Ugh. When you told me about that one mouse, 21, I was like, you have to take her home, save her. <laughs> yeah, she was my friend. She was, she was. Yeah, but that was, that's like, see, that I would never be able to work. I mean, I work in animals. What am I saying? But like, it, it, I would think that like tagging them, they, you know, go back to their families and they're like, look at this new earring I got, mom. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, I actually, I uh, I still take it pretty tough. I take it as an extreme privilege to work with animals, um, mm. and I, I find it really difficult, to sort of, not recognize their their you know sacrifice, uh, not willing sacrifice, but every day. And so, one of the things actually I want to to do to commemorate the end of my my PhD is I want to get a, like a tattoo of one of the mice that. Uh, like that I work with, but in the theme of Flowers for Algernon, because uh, that's a really impactful book for me that I love a lot. Oh yeah, um, that's a good book. And so, um, and it's it's really ahead of its time. If you haven't read it, it's super short for any of your audience members. It's it it was ahead of its time, I think, in how it thought about bioethics and also just like giving you insight in life. Yeah, it was a really good book. That's really sweet. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. Okay, well, tell me, because I know that you also, uh, towards the end of your PhD, you were getting involved with a lot of community projects and outreach and volunteer opportunities, like panels and, and discussions and stuff like that. So kind of take me through what you do outside of academia. Or, I mean, I can like, you know, the, the gentle holding hands of academia, which I would... <laughs> I would consider, you know, outreach and science communication and stuff like that, because it's not totally outside academia, but it's like just enough that you can still spread it around to everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I actually, so I, I've been doing outreach ever since I got to Yale, but it's, it has sort of morphed to be more and more outside of academia as well. So I, when I came, when I was doing interviews, actually, before I came, came to grad school, I was really blown away by one of the graduate groups at University of Pennsylvania called GLIA which is cool because it's a graduate-led initiatives and activities, which GLIA is also like the support cells on the brain. So I thought it was just like a really cool acronym. But they did some awesome outreach. One of them was called the Kids Judge Science Fair. So they get kids to come in and sort of judge how good different scientific presentations are. And I thought that was really awesome. And I wanted to sort of tweak that a bit. And so when I came to Yale, I had this idea for a program called the Flipped Science Fair. And so instead of people talking about like general topics, like this is a brain, there are brain cells in it. Here's how it works. People were instead going to be talking about their own specific research to middle schoolers who were the science fair judges and tell us how good we are at explaining our research. So I worked for a bit with a, um, a student organization called uh, uh, Yale Science Diplomats, and they helped me get this off the ground with volunteers that were really interested. And so this it was a lot of fun trying to build up this framework for training scientists um, because we're usually not very good at explaining our research. And also the higher you get into research, oftentimes you'll find that you tend to hide behind jargon and complexity when that's not actually helpful for anyone to understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a bit, but I started pivoting 
pretty early on to shift my focus um, from just, you know, like having events on Yale's campus, because I found that there was a huge stratification based on the, the types of people that like kids that would come into, uh, you know, Saturday morning activity, if they would come onto Yale's campus or not. So uh, Yale has a rocky relationship with New Haven to say that uh, in a lot of ways, but you know, there are a lot of groups that are trying to prevent, like build better bridges. And so that's one thing that I wanted to do. So I ended up writing a grant called Science Haven. And the idea was to take the outreach that we're already doing at, at Yale and bring it to New Haven, like activities and, and fairs and stuff like that. And so importantly, though, it was all about partnering with neighborhood leaders. And so I went to like neighborhood management team meetings, which are sort of like these 12 different neighborhood teams that meet every month um, in, in each neighborhood. And so I just sort of talked to them and said, hey, I've got some cool science activities. A lot of my friends do. We'd like to come and be, you know, be part of that. Uh, be part of your fall festival or your back to school block party? And can we just have a table and do some fun science activity with your families and kids? Um, and so that's sort of how I pivoted primarily is trying to be more intentional about where we're meeting people with science activities and not always asking them to come on to uh, in a space that they maybe feel disenfranchised from for very good reason. So yeah, um, done a lot of that. Um, recently. And that's very on brand with what our show talks about, because we talk a lot about how science wasn't really built for people like us. And yeah, we can talk about how men have a slightly better time. Well, I shouldn't say slightly better. Yeah, you know. Not slightly. <laughs> yeah. Have a have a better time in academia versus women. But then when we kind of break down ethnicity and other barriers, it's so weird. It's almost like privilege points. They kind they get taken away because maybe you're mixed or you get a point because your family makes a, a little bit more money than the other Mexican kid or uh, you get points taken away because you're a woman but you get points because you can speak six languages or just random things like that it, it's it almost feels like a point system and so I think it's interesting that you identified a problem that maybe you faced, I know I've faced, I know Jasmine's faced, about these barriers of, with just higher education in general. And so I remember we talk, I mean, I know right now there's a huge movement to get rid of the GRE because a lot of universities are waiving it because of COVID. But if we can, if people are still applying to graduate schools without a GRE, well, then that means that we never even needed it in the first place. Yeah. You know? I, I will say to give Yale some credit, they actually took away that GRE requirement before COVID because I actually went to a presentation that professor was giving, basically saying like all these graduate school departments just need to get rid of it. It's like, it's a poor predictor of success for graduate school and it's just a barrier for underrepresented students in particular. So just like trash it. And they were like, okay, cool, we'll do that. And so uh, I was really impressed by that. And I think a lot of departments are moving in that direction. One way is getting better. Yeah, I definitely have seen that there's a movement to get rid of it and just permanently and thinking back there's it's just so expensive still to take it and to take the the prep courses and the books and the time because time is valuable and it has it might not have a value, but that doesn't mean it isn't valuable. So what if it's a parent trying to go back to school? Uh, are they going to have time to study? You know, so yeah, because it's um, all just like tricks, anyways, right? It's like, did you carry the factor correctly, or do you know this vocab word? You know, it's just it's not like important information primarily. It's just like you know this big enterprise that makes money off, right? Like 
It's exactly. silly. Exactly. And so I hope they abolish it. But anyways, going back to the idea of academia and I guess the values that you <laughs> value from your time spent at Yale, because you talk about how you really wanted to get into the community and take science to places where maybe they didn't have access to experiments or have ever seen a scientist in real life. So what are some of those like skills or experiences that you take away from your experience as a PhD student into the real world? And I guess what we call in the biz, transferable skills. Ah, yes. The, the underlying transferable skills that we've got to be able to throw into our, our resume as we you know transform our CV. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I could, you know, give a, a at least an anecdote that explains that sort of illustrates how I, I approach this. And so my my wife, uh, Tabby, has a background in social justice. So basically anything that I think about doing related to outreach, uh, I just sort of pause it to her. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? Sort of like, you know, do you think that this is reasonable? Am I approaching this the right way? And so she gave me a huge amount of feedback. Make sure that you're approaching this as a partnership and not saying, hey, we're going to bust in here and like do some cool science. We're going to shoot off rockets and we're going to like make your kids be super excited about science and then just like ghost um, communities, which is a huge problem. And whenever I was going to these community meetings initially to just sort of say, hey, we've got this stuff. Can you, you know, would you like to work with us? Um, some parents were like, are you trying to survey us? And, you know, are you trying to get data? From and I was like, no, 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 it's not like that. But like, that's what happens a lot. A lot of researchers will come into a community, you know, survey them, waste a bunch of time of people to get some data. And then, you know, just sort of like they graduate and they dip, they got their, their responses for the survey they needed, but it's not really adding any value to the, I mean, you could say this sort of like amorphous, like, oh, well, they contributed to science and moving science forward, but that's not, you know, that's, that's too ethereal. Um, and so instead, what I was trying to do was build up, build up relationships that were much more long-term to where it's like, if someone's going to host a, an event and they want to have a science table or have an activity, they know to email me or call me and say, you know, they'll, they know that I'm going to come through and, and make sure that we make that happen if at all possible and so that's some things that i've learned that are really that are really useful and in and, and i think a, a lot of it is also trying to learn how to uh code switch effect because it's not helpful for instance for me to sling a lot of jargon around about like all the outcomes and you know like deliverables and stuff like that when i'm talking to people who are just trying to run a community meeting and they just want to know, are you actually going to have like a fun thing for us to do? You know, so that's why I would go in with like one of the demonstrations and show them. I would bring this like robotic claw that you put electrodes on your forearm and you grip and it causes the claw to close too. You know, so like mm -hmm. just getting people to see concretely, what is it that we're trying to do? And, you know, why is it fun? So those were some of the things that I, that I did most directly in community. Well, and then didn't they... Didn't one of your neighbors like nominate you to be a community officer or something like that? Yeah. So in working with the, with like the, just the science activities, not only in my neighborhood, which is the Dwight neighborhood of New Haven, but also just across the city, I just got more and more invested in local activities and happenings and goings on. And then it turned out that the, the seat for that was supposed to be appointed to the civilian review board, which is the the entity that's supposed to hold police accountable in New Haven. That was vacant, and they asked me if I would be interested in doing that. And there there was, and we sort of just had discussions about it. And then I followed through with that, and I so now I'm appointed as Dwight Neighborhoods Representative. So it's still in its infancy. We've only met a few times. We meet once a month, but we're trying to iron out all the kinks around our bylaws and procedures and stuff to start, you know, hopefully holding the police more accountable. That's awesome. Good for you, Rick. That's like, I don't know, isn't it cool to have this like thing that is so not, yeah, related to 
science in your life. And and, and I say it, I know that it's you, you got this position and, and this really good community outreach outreach thing going through science but isn't it something totally different yeah and i think it's it's really important for me to not just be like oh he's like the science guy like i'm also a neighbor in this neighborhood that i've lived in for you know going on six years because i care about this and i live here particularly and so you know yeah i will do the science activities but i also volunteer at a community garden here and i also pick up trash with you know my neighbors and i have really great relationships with a lot of the neighbors here like it's it was actually really important to me that some of my neighbors came to my defense on so it's the ladies that I see all the time at these community meetings but they actually showed up to come listen and one of them asked one of the first questions too and it was a really good question about my research that she picked up on so it's just been really awesome to form real connections outside of science to feel like I'm a, a real person and not just like someone cooped up in the lab cuddling my salt would you say you were more than just a scientist <laughs> ah, yes that was a, a softball for you I know right that was so good yeah it's nice. And, and that's kind of how I feel about working at my school. It's a school for special education. And I kind of just do a bunch of stuff. They, I, I show up, they text me, they're like, hey, we need you to sub. Hey, we need you to do aftercare. Hey, we need you to do summer camp. And it's just so nice. It's like a breath of fresh air because these are people that have nothing to do with science, but will still show up for you and care about you as a member of the community. And it's, you know, and I talk about it in a previous episode, how in science, it just always feels like you're competing with everyone all the time. And it's just so nice that I can hang out with, I call them my dudes. <laughs> I can hang out with my dudes. And we uh, have a great time playing basketball and picking lettuce from the garden and running laps and stuff. And I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm I like feel fulfilled with just my science stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah I think that that resonates with me a lot. And I will say that um, science at its best probably should not feel like it's competition all the time. And I think I've been really fortunate in in a lot of ways that my department is super, especially around graduate students, it doesn't feel like I'm ever competing against one of my peers. Like we are usually spread so disparately in the different fields of our research that it like we're, we, we're not competing. Like I'm studying mice and one of my best friends here is studying humans, you know? So like, it's, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna really matter where, I mean, there's always going to be this, like, you know, like who's got more papers, who got this, who, who's a better scientist. But I think that it's, I felt that a lot early on in my career and I just eventually just sort of tried to move away from it and not like, you know, at the end of the day, like once you get your, once you get so deep into your research, you are the world's expert at this one thing, right? Like no one else is gonna be able to tell it. Like, I mean, sure. You can try to tell me about this brain circuit that you know more than me, but like, I, I mean, cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, how many surgeries have you done about, you know, with it? Like, it's really difficult because that, that sort of confidence that I'm trying to discuss and describe right now is fleeting for sure it waxes and wanes there are some times where i think i'm like the dumbest person in the world like how could i have missed this thing how could i have not thought about that? i didn't read this paper it's from like the the 90s what this is like central to my research you know it's just like so many things that you find that you just like are feel so silly about. but i mean that that was a huge de uh you know detour but i guess what i'm trying to say is that for, especially for people who are newer to science or newer to you know college at all like the, the feeling of of like that, that it's a competition never truly goes away but i think 
when you surround yourself with people that are on your side and are telling you that you're worth it, you're, it's important for you to be here, you are smart enough to do this, can better appreciate what you're bringing to the table and that's your, your contribution. Yeah, that kind of goes into finding, you know, Jasmine and I harp about it all the time about finding your support systems, especially in graduate school. And if it's not a support system or I shouldn't say not a support system, but you you don't have the opportunity to surround yourself with people directly, you know, hobbies or something that you can really throw yourself into where you don't feel either maybe not judged or you don't feel pressured to do it. It's just something you enjoy and it's just an outlet. So I know that, well, I know of a few of your hobbies, but I would like you to talk about your hobbies. Yeah. And these hobbies have been really central to sort of taking me out of the the thick of science whenever I felt like it was just too much and too overwhelming. So I think sort of broad strokes, I really, really like board games. I mean, in general, I love activities. Like I just want to be doing most. I, I don't like just sort of going to the bar and just like having a couple beers. Like I want to, I want to bring, I'm the guy that like has a board game in my pocket where I'm like, do you guys want to play like Sushi Go? Would you like to do this? Like, Which is what you did when <laughs> the first time I ever met you, you brought, you gave us our copy of Sushi Go. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I just, I like playing game, board games, video game, just sort of anything that's even a game that's just sort of like just testing of wits, sort of like in discussing things. Like I'd like to ask like really silly questions to my friends. Like, would you rather fight 20 geese or one bobcat in a cage match? Like, you know, fight to the death, stuff like that, just to sort of like learn and stretch and grow in ways that especially aren't necessarily like, they don't feel like they're really relevant to the world. Like how many sheep in Catan do I have to get? You know, like I just like being able to really throw myself into something that is, that is slightly competitive, but also in good nature and fun. So I think board games has been a, a really constant one for me. Because there's a board game cafe here that I used to go to a lot where you can just like pay a certain cover and they have this huge library of games. Go with your friends and bring your own beer and just sort of hang out and have fun. So board games are certainly one. And one of the more recent ones that I found a lot of solace in was is gardening. So uh, I mentioned my wife has her background in social justice, but she also had a concentration in environment studies. So she worked on an urban farm in Nashville. Uh, so she knows a ton about like how to grow things that you can eat, which I, I mentioned it to the this to you earlier when before we started the recording that i think now i think plants are extremely underrated uh i think it's like so fun to grow things in the ground and it's uh just wildly rewarding to like throw some seeds in the dirt put some water on it do that a few times a week and then just like be able to eat that thing and so i know taylor's parents are incredible farmers basically they're not even gardeners anymore right they <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. They're farmers. Basically every time we go to their house, they're like jarring something, they're canning something, they're pickling something. And Tay is, he loves gardening. He loves being outside. He loves being in the dirt. I swear. I try my best to like care about care for my plants, but they die. And like, I feel awful because Tay has this like childlike, you know, love for gardening and, and his plants and stuff. And he literally could just look at a plant and it grows into a beautiful carrot or like radish and I look at it and it dies so well, yeah that's what I thought I thought I had a brown thumb 
too. Uh, but I, I actually really hated being in the like garden or like pulling weeds and stuff like that as a kid. Cause in Florida, it's just like so unbearably hot and sticky yeah. and there's mosquitoes everywhere. Like, it's just, I, I just hated it. Like I got super itchy all, but like, yeah, here it's just been, it's been really wonderful to, to also not have to think about it too much. Like I thought it was going to be really stressful and it can be in the garden when stuff's not going right. But like, I literally just go there. Tabby tells me, pick this bag up, put that soil there, dig this up. Like, you know, I just like, I want to do just the grunt work and because I, I some in some ways miss that because I worked in a seafood restaurant in high school and a frozen yogurt store in college. And like I sometimes kind of like this mindless work uh, to be able to not not mindless, but like more getting in the zone, sort of like doing the thing. Uh, so I, I agree. I every time I go out on, on the field to help Tay and his dad do something, I'm like, I'll I'll rake that dirt for you. <laughs> Don't ask me to like do anything with the plant. I'll help you scoop dirt or <laughs> hold yeah. the thing. <laughs> like, so right. yeah, I agree with that. The closer I get to having to really think about the garden, I'm like, like Tabby's like, pull those weeds. I'm like, is this a weed? Is this not a weed? Is this a beneficial plant? Like, you know, I just like get stressed out and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm just going to water. I'm just going to water. Oh my God. You would not be able to handle Campeche then because in a lot of Mayan communities, their gardens are a huge cultural like identity and they have a mix between ornamental and medicinal and of the like three communities I went to it looked like weeds it just looked like all these plants were like clumped together and I was like oh my god it's so crowded like how are these plants growing and and I'm like oh my god they how do they do blah 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 and I'm like oh wait a second these people have been here for like thousands of years I think they know what they're doing (laughs) And then I'm like, everything looks the same. Like I, I, not the same, obviously like purple flowers and pink flowers and whatever leaves. But I, to me, I would pick up like the wrong plants and I, and they would be like, oh, you can use that for your, I don't know, your scalp or something like that. And I'm like, what? And so you would not have a good time if that, if that's like how you would freak out, I would, I I freaked out. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's difficult because I, I just have no intuition for like what is or is not a weed. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, and that's what it comes down to with a lot of stuff is like you have intuitions for things you spend a lot of time with. And I have an intuition for like, you know, working with mice. You know, like I, I just sort of know whether or not this mouse is kind of a nut and I need to like be more careful with her because I can just see how she's sort of jumping around. But when it comes to plants, I'm just like, ah, this one's green. Like this yeah. one's green. This one has pokey things on it. It's probably bad. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but gardening has been definitely a huge area of solace for me um and also i've met uh, another good friend in the community um there's this place called and it's a community garden a little ways away it's like seven blocks from my house but it's close it's further away than our garden plot is and it's called the little red hen community garden and there's this dude named stacy who i work with there so he's been like in new haven for forever and just like a real figure in the community and i've learned a lot from him like just growing with him, hanging out and, you know, picking weeds, the ones that he showed me, which ones are weeds and which ones aren't <laughs> and watering stuff and taking care of chickens. Like I discovered my love for chicken there. Like they're really nice. They're, they're actually super sweet. Are they? I, at least the ones there. I mean, I could pick them up and pet them and they were, they were really nice. Maybe I just want to hug them and they don't like to be hugged, but yeah, I, I was going to say my goal is to imprint on a chicken one day. Like it may be the first thing it sees when it hatches and for it to think I'm, that's what I really want to happen. Oh, I'm sure it will because that's what our younger dog thinks of Taylor. So, um, oh, nice. yeah, if, yeah. And I, I gather um, chickens are really good 
like starter, not pets, I shouldn't say pets, but like for garden slash farm slash self-sufficiency, they're pretty good. Chickens and goats, I've heard. Yeah, I think goats, the only problem is their eyes are soulless and it's very difficult for me to look at them because they just, they're very odd creatures. Tabby loves goats, so I I can't say this too loud because she'll hear me, but they're just very creepy. They creep me out. Yeah, I know. I I get that a lot. When I tell people I love goats, I, when they tell me that, I'm like, I get it, but I think I just have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for goats and possums and some snakes because in college I worked at a nature center that did a lot of education stuff and my job was to go and clean all the the chicken coop and, and get the hay for the goats and stuff like that. And I remember there was this one goat who was super old and um, he was always super sweet to me and he would like rub his head on my leg. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, Ollie, I'm getting your food. And then there was one that was so mean, it would headbutt me if I didn't give him his food in time. I was like, can you chill out? <laughs> He's got one thing on his mind and that's food. I understand that. I don't know, like goats, they, they serve their purpose. I'm on. I'm all on board with Team Possum. They eat lots of ticks. They're really nice. They are also... They get a bad rap for no reason. Posse. I think they're so cute. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but they are. What are your what are you, what are your opinions on bats? Do you think bats are cute? Because I think bats are really cute. I think they can be. Uh, I've been a little traumatized by bats because I found one uh, in high school that was like sort of separated from I thought its mother. It was out like during the day, and I was like, oh no, I'm going to bring this to my biology teacher. But usually, bats being out during the day is a sign of rabies, and it actually did bite me. Oh my! Um, as I was taking it, so there was like this huge thing with like they thought I could have rabies, so they had to test it for rabies, and they called my dad and said he like your son brought a bat to school, and he's like, you sh- are you sure he plays soccer? Like, why would he bring a bat to school? <laughs> And they're like a Louisville slugger? Like, what? And he's like, they're like, no, sir. The animal bat. And he's like, why? Where did he get a bat? What? Uh, So it was a huge thing. That's funny. I, yeah, I don't know. I I just like watching animal shows. I, everyone gives me a bunch of crap for it. But as a shark scientist, there's this like feud between sharks and dolphins. And like shark scientists are supposed to hate dolphins. And to be honest, I don't know if anyone's asked a dolphin researcher if they hate sharks. Like, I don't know if it's like one-sided or whatever. And I don't know. It's like a weird feud. I love dolphins. And I just, I love mammals. I love anteaters. I love porcupines. I love giraffes. I love like the weirdest looking animals. I love those like five like pointed nose moles. I think they're so cute. I don't know. I just really like am- animals. Mostly animals. Well, I thought but... in kindergarten, I thought that I was going to be an ecologist because I saw Jeff Corwin. I grew up with Jeff Corwin. I was oh, like, yeah, that's yeah. what I want to be. I want to play with animals all day. And I then I realized that's not necessarily what ecologists do. And you hate and ecology is what you've told I, I have said that as a hot take. But that's only because I had to memorize the biome in, in you know, high school and bi- and undergrad. So I hated. It's so easy. There's just if it's cold, it's a tundra. <laughs> but there's taiga, and there's yeah. also you know, there's a lot of savannas and of, grasslands and stuff. There's intricacies that I just was not prepared to to memorize, and that's one of the problems I think with science in general is like us having to do so much memorization for no reason. Oh, like yeah. It's just, it's, it, it really beats the wonder out of kids in science class because they have to memorize all this nonsense that really isn't. For the life of me, I can't remember if a water molecule is polar. So I'm a big kid now, so I think I'm 97% sure it's polar. But for a very long time there, it was pretty touch and go. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, 
you know, even stuff directly in our field, like it's just not necessarily needed for us to memorize it. Like we know how to look it up and to remember, like I studied mouse brains all the time. Like I would probably do about the same as an undergraduate neuroscience major, if not worse, if they asked me to identify the parts of a human brain, like very, very small part. And I just like, I don't know, this is the hippocampus, but give me some more. Yeah. <laughs> some more. And it's really funny. I, there was a meme uh, that one of my friends who is a shark ecologist retweeted where it was that uh, flex tape guy, you know, that meme where he like slams it on a giant vat of yes. water like him it was him highlighting any animal behavior and then them slapping the tape and it just says community ecology <laughs> any problem in any habitat community ecology and i was like ouch <laughs> it was pretty funny yeah oh speaking of ecology that card game called ecologies is back in stock so i'm gonna get a copy and um whenever we see each other again I'm going to kick your butt. We'll see. I mean, as long as I don't have to take any information about biomes, then I think I have a, a reasonable shot at trying to win. No, it's it's all about biomes. It's like you have oh. to create a food web based off of a, your biome. Oh, good. Well, I'll, I'll be happy to take fourth place. You <laughs> and Tabby will be going for first and second. I'll just be cruising. <laughs> and Taylor's just going to put like sharks in every single food web connection that he can find, even if we're in a grassland or something. Oh, big time. Yeah, I'm going to work on trying to develop a rainforest shark for sure. Yeah, anything is possible nowadays. All right, Rick. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and my listeners uh, about what you do because you're pretty cool and you're very nice and you're easy to talk to. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And I, yeah, I mean, I can be reached. Uh, I'll share my contact stuff. If your listeners have any questions about if, you know, my sort of trajectory resonated with them, um, they're happy to, re- I'm happy to answer any questions via Twitter, um, which I'm not super active on anymore or email. So I'll give you uh, the link that made accessible. Yeah, I can totally do that. Sorry. I should have done that. That's what like good co- podcasters do. They're like, where can the people find you? So uh, the people can find well, you via email or Twitter. And uh, I will put that information in the description. So again, thank you so much for our two our early listeners for your support. I love um, the engagement that we get and the retweeting of the episodes and stuff every time uh, I have an announcement. Also, this is a very surprise episode. Jasmine said I can make my own episode. So this is what we're doing. And also, don't forget that we are collecting questions for our very special 10th episode that will be airing, I think, in the late March, probably early April. But yeah, we're taking questions of all kinds. So uh, if you have any questions, DM us on Twitter. And with that... Can I submit a question? Yeah, yeah. Of course you can submit a question. uh, So I've been asking Taylor this as well. What I'd like to hear what you and Jasmine think are the most overrated fruits and vegetables. So not like one that you hate, but you think even one that you like maybe, but is uh, more highly rated than it, than it should. Okay. I'd be interested to hear y'all's take. Perfect. Yeah, I will uh, I will write that down and I will make sure that uh, we tackle that question head on because I already started thinking about it and I was like, uh-oh, I need to think about this more. So <laughs> you got me, Rick. Awesome. All right, dude. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye.